Hey, it's Avishak, and you're listening to the Stop Being Confused About Health podcast, where our goal is to discover the deepest truths about health, bust myths, connect to nature, and figure out what kind of ice cream we're allowed to eat. So I hope your curiosity is as strong as my sweet tooth, because there are a ton of questions to be asking. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. One of my favorite things to do is to bust nutrition myths, especially myths that rob you from living the good life. And my guest today shares the same passion. I found her through Instagram because her account really stood out to me because it's very blunt, just like I can be. And uh, her Instagram handle is motherfucking nutrition. So I invited her to the show and her name is Megan Anderson. She's a registered dietitian based out of Arizona who works with all populations, pediatrics, the elderly. She works in weight management, eating disorders, as well as uh, diabetes. And she loves seeing people heal their relationship with food and thrive. So welcome to the show, Megan. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Avashek. I'm glad to be here. I'm super excited about this. Awesome. So I'm always curious when people start to question nutrition ideologies because there's people who just kind of believe everything, get really excited. And there's other people who start to criticize and try to delve deeper so they can really understand what's going on. So I'm wondering for you, what was your moment if there was one moment where you started to realize like, okay, we need to change up this conversation and promote something a little bit different? That's a really good question. Um, You know, I think it was when I started working in college health. So I'd worked in pediatric weight management, which is pretty straightforward because with kids, you don't put them on diets, right? Because that's how you get eating disorders later in life. So it was always this like, you teach kids to eat vegetables and get protein throughout the day. It was super simple. And then I went to college health and totally different ball game. Like it was every fad diet in the book that I've like ever heard of within like the student population I work with. Um, And so I think it was when I started working with eating disorders and I saw that orthorexia trend really take place of like, well, I stopped eating carbs because I wanted to be healthy. Okay, well, why did you do that? Because I want to be healthy. Okay, but why? And so it was me kind of pushing my patients and asking, why are you doing this? What's this rationale? And I think those were those moments where I was like, oh my God, something needs to change because people are confused and scared. Yeah. Yeah, that brings up a good point. Where does orthorexia start? Because there's a definition, but then in my opinion, there's all these areas in between. So it's really hard to tell someone, or I mean, you shouldn't really tell someone they have orthorexia, but when you're looking at what's going on and you see, okay, people are cutting out all their carbs, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of people are reporting health benefits from these things in the short term, it might not last in the long term. So for you, what is your, I guess, working definition of orthorexia? When do you think thinking about health too much starts to be detrimental? I think what I see is it's really when people start to have fear surrounding their food, right? So it's one thing to change how you're eating because you want to eat healthier. Like that's kind of like a great idea in general, but I think it's when there's like the fear and the psychological impact. And so for me, it's when I see people avoiding going out to eat with their friends or removing entire food groups from their diet when it's not medically necessary. Um, 
And of course, when it does become this obsession where it's all they think about, all they talk about, all they like they breathe their their diet and like nothing else in their life. I think that it's it's hard because there's a lot of gray. And so it's hard sometimes to tease out like, are you really just trying to be healthy and you're confused? Or is this turning into an eating disorder that like needs to be nipped in the bud? Yeah, there's a lot of nuance to it. There's definitely a lot of gray out there. So why don't we talk about I guess cutting out entire food groups is a really interesting idea. Yeah. Um, a lot of people obviously are cutting out carbs. I think that's the main one. There's smaller number, I would say, maybe you you differ in this, who cut out carbs. I mean, who cut out fats, like vegans on the low um, carb, low fat, high carb vegan train. So what's your opinion on this idea um, that we can survive without carbohydrates? We don't need carbohydrates. Um, yeah, what's your take on that? Uh, I think it's just nonsense. Um, <laughs> to be blunt, I, I could. am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I meant to ask you that before. Um, yeah, so, so really, you know, especially with carbohydrates, this drives me so fucking crazy because carbohydrates are our body's like favorite form of fuel, right? And it's a really, really easy energy conversion process that like doesn't take a lot of calories. So it makes the fuel really readily available. So it helps our brain and it helps our muscles. And so when people just completely eliminate it for no reason, and I mean like totally, you know, like the keto thing where it's like maybe... 50 grams of carbs a day, super low. Like you're missing this really important fuel. And so your body has to work way harder to convert fat or protein into energy than if you would just give it a little bit of carbs and like let it do its thing and act normal. So it really kind of drives me crazy because most of the time it's not medically indicated. So we put our bodies through this gauntlet and we just feel crappy at the end of the day because we're not getting what we need. Yeah, so to clear up the confusion for people, because I can imagine low carbers and people on the keto diet saying, you know, actually fats are really efficient, you know, they're not stored as fat more easily. So what could you elaborate? How are carbs, you know, such an easy source for us? Because I think a lot of people would argue ketones are mm -hmm. really amazing too. I mean, so ketones can be amazing, right? And, and you can use protein, but biologically, it's just not an intuitive process for our bodies. So we can break them down for energy, but it's really evolutionary meant to be as this like backup thing. So it takes more energy than we really need to be burning, which I guess can be great for weight loss, but maybe not weight maintenance or just everyday healthy eating. Um, the conversion is basically you eat a carbohydrate, your body breaks it down into glucose, and that's what's sent through your um through your blood to your muscles and your brain and then convert it into ATP energy. So it's just like a really fast, simple process that our bodies are kind of taught to do. So that's like what we know to do biologically, evolutionary. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can use ketones for, for um, energy, but it's just not efficient. I don't know how else to explain it other than it's not our body's go-to. It's not our normal like homeostasis. So it takes more work. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I just wanted the listeners to see this because yeah. there's always counterpoints, especially when you really believe in a diet, you've read about it, you know, your favorite health guru talks about it. Um, yeah. It's really hard for people to, uh, you know, see outside that bubble. I mean, I've read somewhere that carbs, um, carb digestion releases more phosphate or something, which is more available for ATP. So I have to look yeah. into that. Um, so definitely this idea that keto is this backup process is really important. I think a lot of people 
are trying to bring it to the forefront, make it not a backup process. But uh, I honestly don't know how how they're doing. So um, what other health fads stick out to you? What have you seen being really um, damaging in terms of causing fears in, in the people you work with? Yeah, so I think the big ones, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't remember, but I think anytime we demonize a particular food, that's kind of what gets us into trouble. Um, so when you look at like the 80s, right, the food that we all demonized and we're scared of was fat. Um, so what did we do? Because we took all the fat out of our diet. Um, we had to make our food taste good. So we loaded it up with salt and we loaded it up with sugar. And then we filled up on foods that weren't really filling when fat naturally um, makes us feel full, right? So the big one, of course, right now for me is I see carbs everywhere. Like no one will eat carbs and no one will eat sugar, even if it's sugar when it comes from fruit or carrots. That drives me crazy too. Um, and so, so it's, that's a really huge one where we're really cutting out an entire macronutrient now. So it's not just like a food group, it's like macronutrients. Um, the other thing I see a lot of is <laughs> the use of plant-based diets to like scare people into going vegan. And and I should do a disclaimer, like I'm not against vegan diets per se. I'm against the like vegan diet dogma of like this is the only right diet, this is what you need to do. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. What is it about the plant-based diet? I see that all the time. There, there's just something about it that starts to get really dogmatic. So what do you think are some of the, I guess, flaws in plant-based dogma? Yeah, I think the biggest one is that it's the, the um, when we take a plant-based diet and we say it's the diet for everybody. Um, so that generalizability of it, that that's kind of been like the big thing recently. Um, because yeah, it's great for a lot of people, but it's not great for everybody. So with plant-based eating, we ignore the fact that like children, for example, it's they can do it, but it's a lot harder because they have more energy needs and more protein and calcium and um, iron needs than like a normal adult. So you have to be a little more intentional with it. Um, or like I had a student athlete ask me the other day who was a football player. He's like, is it realistic for me to be vegan? Everyone tells me to be vegan. And I said, well, can you afford to buy 5,000 calories a day of vegetables and, you know, like vegetarian proteins that don't have a lot of fat and they're lower calorie? And he was like, probably not. I said, well, then it's not realistic for you. So there's that whole like push that everyone needs to do it. And it's the only way while failing to acknowledge like the, the unintended consequences of someone following a vegan diet if it's not for them, if it's not realistic for them at that time, if they don't like it. Um, and so I think those are my big, my big beef with vegans. Like, of course it's good for you. It has, you know, so much fiber and so many vegetables and really great sources of protein, but it's just not for everybody. What do you think about this idea that meat and other animal foods can feed parasites? Oh, you know, I haven't really heard too much about that one. Um, so I guess I don't have much of an opinion on it. I think I would just say I'd like want to see the research behind that because I haven't seen any research that really states that. That's my answer usually as well. Yeah. What kinds of problems do you think can happen if like biologically, if people restrict entire food groups? Um, so a big part of it is, biologically, um, our bodies just aren't getting the foods they need. So when you look at meat, for example, this is another one I see with people like kind of delving into orthorexia is like, it goes like sugar, carbs, meat. Um, so with meat, 
Of course, there's the protein that we're going to be missing from it, but we also tend to miss a lot of zinc and iron and um, all those like minerals we need and those different amino acids. So biologically, our body's not getting what it needs. So that might mean we're not able to make hormones efficiently. It might mean we're not able to absorb certain nutrients. For example, people who cut out all their fat, then they, they have a really hard time digesting, absorbing, utilizing the fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K. So I think, you know, everything, our whole system just shifts, and it has to find this backup way to function. Um, we certainly have some pretty cool things built into us because evolution, you know, we were in times where it was feast or famine, and we had to learn to adapt. But it's not this state of wellness. It's not a state of well-being. That's like the plan B for our body. So considering, you know, the food system in America is like really messed up, how important do you think it is to say go organic? I would say it's like medium important, um, you know, and, and a big part of that is because I've spent so much of my career working with people who don't have money that it's never my first go to conversation. Um, you know, the pesticide levels are monitored. We know that they're they're pretty low um, and most of our like general conventional produce is pretty safe to eat. Um, but I do think what we're doing to the soil is changing the nutrition of our food in pretty profound ways that we're just starting to learn about. And that's because of, you know, soil degradation, whether it's from not rotating crops, from high use of pesticides, that kind of thing. Um, so, I, I mean, it is important to tell people, but it's just never my first line because a lot of times it's not achievable. Um, that is shifting though. I do have to say like organic produce is going down in cost and there's a pretty cool push within the farming like ag industry to change their practices also because they notice it's not cost efficient. Like, you know, it's more cost efficient to have healthy soil and go back to kind of our roots with, with farming. So there is a big push. It's just taking time because it takes time to undo <laughs> American systems when they're not great. Yeah, and a lot of uh, small farmers will have organic produce, but uh, they can't afford the certification. So I think it's really important to look for. Uh, but you, you brought up a really good point. It's really not practical for a lot of people, probably most people, to truly be a health freak. So I think we need to step back and realize, wait a second, how much of that actually helps us? So the question then is, what kinds of strategies do you think are definitely fundamental that aren't fads for you know improving our health from a nutritional standpoint yeah um you know it sounds so simplified but we have to get our fruits and vegetables in and really like pretty much any way we can eat them unless they're fried this is what i tell my clients so the best vegetable for you i think i did an instagram post about this too like the best vegetable for you is the one that you like the one that's affordable and the one that's easiest for you. So, so that's really a lot of the basis of my nutrition education, especially with people who need to manage chronic disease or lose weight. It's let's talk the vegetables. How can you get them in? Because we know the calorie density of your plate shifts when you're filling up on vegetables or the nutrient density increases when you're filling up on vegetables. Um, and then from there, I talk a lot about overall eating patterns. Um, eating throughout the day, making sure you're getting in that protein and that carb combo with your meals and snacks to help you have that quick burst of energy, but then sustain it so it lasts throughout the day. Um, and then really, I do pull in a lot of intuitive eating, not like to the degree that intuitive eating people do it where they're like, just 
just go with what your body's telling you. But um, not quite there yet. But it, it is a lot of, um, you know, listen to your hunger cues and listen to your full cues. Like put down your phone, learn to like know what your body's telling you and go from there. Um, so those are the big ones. And then drink water because no one's drinking enough water or, okay, I don't drink enough water. So I project it onto everybody around me. Um, but I think those are the big ones. You know, there's this great, are you familiar with David Katz? Have you read, heard about him at all? Yeah. He wrote about, um, how the food industry puts flavor, too many flavors and stuff, right? No. Well, maybe he did at one point. He is a, he's a physician, but he has a public health background. Um, and so yeah, I think there's like a couple of them, but the f name sounds really familiar. Yeah. Um, and he, there's a chance he did cause he writes a lot about food. Um, but he's been really vocal in this, like the blue zone research where they look at like the commonalities of these places where people are centarians and live to be a hundred and then die in their sleep. Um, without like medical complications, you know, they're just like super healthy and the diet components of it. There's a lot of commonalities and it's like they eat mostly plants and then they eat either lean or plant-based protein. It doesn't matter which one. They just have some of it. And it's not the main focus of their food. Um, and they get healthy fats from nuts, seeds, olives, oils, and they drink a lot of water. Like, that's it. Those are the basics that, that I think we should kind of reach for. I've really related to that because it's so simple. And it kind of takes out the other, like, vegan, vegetarian, um, high fat, low fat, high carb. You know, it kind of just simplifies it in, like, a nice way, I think. There's this connection a lot of people who aren't in our modern society have with nature that we don't have. And I think that plays a huge role as well. We tend to focus on the diet and forget about our interaction with the environment. Yeah. You said eating regular meals, I think if I heard you correctly, is, is uh -huh. a great idea. So what do you have to say to fasting proponents who say that you know you should eat one meal a day? Yeah. You know, I think for some people, it's great, right? I'm not discounting that some people do really well off of maybe just one or two meals a day, but the research doesn't support that. <laughs> you know, the research supports it can work for some people, but it's not sustainable long-term. Um, and we don't really know the negative health consequences of it yet. I was just reading a study yesterday that was it's not really a study because it hasn't been published. And so take this with a grain of salt. But it was saying that people who fast regularly damage the, the insulin producing cells in their pancreas. Or they saw it in some research that they were doing. Um, it hasn't been published. It's not peer reviewed. So I don't know what the actual deal is. But, you know, I think I tell people, I'm like, if fasting is great for you, that's wonderful. But if someone is prone to hypoglycemia, like right there, fasting is not going to work because they're going to feel crappy. Their blood sugar is going to drop and it can be dangerous. And so, yeah, it's great for a lot of people, but it's not for every, I would argue the majority of people really don't need to do fasting. What are your, some of your favorite health myths overall? <laughs> um, I just love the ones that talk about vegetables having too much sugar, um, especially like carrots and bell peppers, because I, it blows my mind. I'm like, is that really like a thing to be worried about? Um, because sure, it's got like maybe five grams of sugar, but it has so much fiber and so many nutrients. It's not going to do anything. Like it's just going to make you feel good. Um, that I think that will forever be my favorite one. Um, oh, what else have I heard recently? Um... Oh, I, I swear I had these like all excited. What, what do you think about um, GMO foods? Oh, 
that's a good one. Um, so I think that GMOs have saved a lot of lives. Um, you know, when you look at increasing the amount of food that's available to us, like as the human race just grows, GMOs have kind of been this like necessary component of it in a sense that we needed to make sure we had crops that were shelf stable and could last a little bit longer and get further in order to feed everybody. Um, and then also they're really used in a lot of like foreign aid food to countries where there's real, real malnourishment. Um, and you know, like kids going blind because they're not getting enough vitamin A. So we sent them that golden rice that was fortified with vitamin A. I don't know if you heard about that a few years ago. Um, um, so my issue with GMOs is the industry itself and their predatory practices on farmers as far as like selling them seeds that can't be reseeded and selling them, you know, seeds that work with crops that only work with certain pesticides. I think that that's really where we need to hone in on with GMOs is talking about these pretty awful practices and how we're targeting farmers um, instead of going after the actual industry like Monsanto itself. Do you know anything about what happened there with Monsanto? Because as far as I'm aware, they have kind of disappeared under Bayer. So do you have any <laughs> information on uh, what we should be doing? The last big nutrition conference I was there, they were still there as Monsanto. And that was about a year ago, um, like in the whole like expo area, because all the industry people are always there. Um, and so I would say it's good to just keep an eye out on, I mean, Googling Monsanto Bayer probably wouldn't help, but then I think it comes back to like we talked about trying to buy local produce where you know it's probably not, you know, part of that industrial complex. We know it's coming from these farmers that have great practices and don't have to participate in that, you know, when it's possible. Like I live in an area where we don't have a farmer's market six months of the year, um, so it's not really accessible. But um, you know, it, it's hard because it's always changing, right? These big mergers and acquisitions happen and then the food policy changes. And right now, like, who knows what's happening with health and nutrition policy? Like, there's so much, like, not great stuff happening with the current administration that I think we're going to see things actually going backwards, um, especially with farming. As it, it, um, Do you know about the farm bill? Sorry, I'm like taking you down a rabbit hole. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know which one you're talking about. Um, so Farm Bill is this big, um, it's like an omnibus package that's passed every few years by Congress. And it legislates a whole bunch of different things. So food stamps are in there, food stamp education. Um, but also there's a lot of agriculture practices that are in there. And so this big push right now, it's up for renewal this year. And there's this big debate about giving power back to farmers, which can maybe be a good thing, depending on how you look at it, but then also loosening regulations for things. Like, I, I feel like I read something, there was like a pesticide thing in there, you know? So like taking away some of these safety precautions we have surrounding growing our food in order to like give power back to the farmers. Um, and so, so there's some not so good stuff happening like on that higher federal level that I think is really going to drastically, again, set our food system back just as we've been starting to make some progress. Um, maybe that's me being a little negative about it, but that's just kind of like what I'm seeing right now on that national level. Okay, yeah, that's really interesting because I haven't really paid attention to the food system much in a while. So, uh, yeah. but I think it is really important to talk about that because that's the global, that's the more broad way that we can fix things because a lot of people in the health space or on their keto diet talk about how, oh, there's an obesity crisis, but 
you know, that's not going to go away with a diet. I think there's right. going to be a bigger uh, federal level change in the way we sell food. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's like a very public health approach, right? Is saying, which is like my master's program is public health. You know, we take away the individual behavior, which is certainly an important component of how we eat. But then we also need to look at our family systems and our schools and our towns and then our state and federal guidelines, because all those actually impact our food choices, right? Whether or not we want to believe it, like those have just as much control over our food as our actual individual choice does at times. Um, and so, yeah, if, unless we really tackle some of these things from that bigger policy level, I don't think we're going to see real change and like reversing obesity or these like kind of not so great health trends, like as far as like diabetes, heart disease, stroke, all that kind of stuff. Are there any uh, resources you'd recommend for people to, I guess, stay up to date on, you know, what's going on on the federal level as far as the food system? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, so I'm, I'm lucky I'm, I'm a state public policy coordinator, um, for Arizona for like doing like action alerts, which is why I'm so looped in. Um, and this is just kind of like my other passion, but I think a good one is probably, you know, honestly, like New York times does really good thorough reporting on food policy, like in their health section, um, I think it seems to be accurate. It seems to be appropriate. Um, so theirs is really good. Like their farm bill reporting was so useful for me, like as it was changing. Um, and we were trying to figure out like, do we call and say, don't pass this, pass this. So I think any of the major like newspapers and their food and health sections are awesome resources for people. Um, if you really are into policy and you can handle the jargon of like legal speak, um, the USDA website and the FDA websites will usually have the new rules that are going through as well. Um, and so it's a great way to learn and like kind of see what's being proposed. But the cool part with rules versus laws is as the public, we get input. So we can see it and there's always the open comment period and we can say, hey, like this seems like it's maybe being like representing the sugar industry. Why is this in here? Shouldn't this be removed? Um, and so a lot of those considerations are taken when going back to like write the final rules and the drafts. And so monitoring those websites can be really, really helpful too. They're just kind of tedious at times. Definitely. I think those are some good resources. So mm -hmm. Megan, do you have any closing thoughts for what kind of uh, nutritional strategies people should take up to improve their health? Yeah, I think the first one is be skeptical um, and ask why. I know that's not really like a food strategy per se, but say like, why is why am I being preached this dogma? Um, and ask people to show them the research. Um, if someone is in your face and like yelling at you to like switch to a keto diet, for example, I'm so I'm just picking on keto today. Um, but you know, if if they're saying that, like it's our it's okay for us to say why and say I want to see the evidence instead of just blindly going like, oh, well, it worked for this person, it's going to work for me. Um, but then other than that, I would say you know, eat a lot of plants, eat eat some protein. I don't care where it comes from. Um, get your water in and make sure you just feel good. Like it, listen to your body. So if you are feeling low energy, look at those different food groups and see what's missing from your diet. Because a lot of times that's our body telling us we're missing something. And so just pay attention because our bodies tell us a lot. We just have to listen to it. Show me the research. I agree with that. That's my favorite line. Thanks. All right. 
Uh, thanks for joining me today. I learned a lot. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next time. Great. Thanks, Avishek.